about you, but uh, this world offers a lot of promises to us, and the longer I live and the more I am confronted with them and the claims that they make, that it makes, the more and increasingly I say, give me more Jesus, <laughs> and less of the promises of the world. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Some of you remember that uh, I uh, worked for a short time. My most interesting job ever was being a ground crewman on a blimp. And down in uh, Southern California, the old Marine Air Base in Tustin, California. Have you ever been in a blimp hangar? The big giant garage where they park a blimp? I know Susan has, Jim has, a few of us have. If you have not and you ever get an opportunity, take it. Because it is amazing to see what was constructed and the size of things that can fit in these blimp hangers. I worked on this blimp for a few months. It was a special project. This blimp had been uh, built especially to test a Navy radar system. And um, my job was, um, uh, as a ground crewman, I, I learned a few things working on the blimp. I learned that when you're taking the blimp out to put it up in the air, you walk it out, and if you are holding the ropes on the nose... Once the blimp starts to take off, what might be a good idea? Let go. You're good. In fact, they, they showed us videos in our training about what happens if you don't let go. And uh, they actually have black and white footage of people dangling from these ropes. Bad idea. So I, I learned that it was good to let go of the rope when it, at the right time. I learned, number two, that I'm glad that the blimp is filled with helium and not hydrogen like they used to be. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen pictures or heard about the Hindenburg, how flammable hydrogen is. So I was grateful to be working on a blimp filled with the right stuff. So that's good. And then uh, the other thing I learned was uh, what we had to do uh, as a ground crew. There were about eight of us or so. And we would take turns every night because you had to babysit the blimp. I never knew you had to babysit a blimp. What could go wrong with a blimp? It doesn't need to go to the bathroom. And I was like, what? doesn't need to be fed, but uh, what do you mean babysit? So we would take turns sitting all night with the blimp, just one at a time. And when my turn came up, I realized I was trained a little bit. You'd go up into the cockpit every hour at the top of the hour, and you'd read a few gauges, and you'd be uh, just responding to whatever the gauges told you because it was measuring the atmospheric pressure around the blimp. And as that changed at the different times of the day and into the evening, the, the pressure would change, and that would change the pressure and the shape of the blimp. Now, inside this particular blimp, there were two big ballasts, one toward the nose and one toward the tail, and they were just huge air sacs. And depending on the pressure of the blimp, you would either push a button to blow more air into these air sacs so that the constant pressure would be on the outside of the blimp, or you'd push a different button and it would let some air out So because you wanted to regulate the pressure. What I learned in doing pressure watches at night was how important it is that if you're filled with the right stuff and in the right quantity, it gives the right shape to the blimp. And it taught me, helped me understand a little bit about our spiritual lives. Because when Jesus comes to fill us, the Apostle Paul would say time and again that his desire, his hope for us as followers of Jesus is that the person of Jesus would be shaped more and more in us. That our lives from the inside out would be shaped like Jesus. We would think the way Jesus thinks. We would speak to other people the way Jesus spoke to them. We would encourage and bring strength to them in the same way that Jesus brings strength to them. It's important that what goes into us then gives shape to our life. 
Are you following me? Alright, so that was, if you ever get a chance to work as a ground crewman on a blimp, take it. You'll love it. There's regularity that has to happen. And if that regularity doesn't happen, these pressure watches didn't happen over and over and over again, then the blimp, the possibility was that it would become misshapen, the work would be delayed, or even catastrophe might happen. We have part of our church covenant. Please pull out your bulletin if you would. And on the front cover, if you just turn it right behind, as we have today and next week, we're going to finish up our series looking at our church covenant together. And one of the expressions as we are um, learning again and reviewing what it means to be committed to God and committed to each other in His service, we're going to, if you look from the very bottom, the fourth bullet up begins with the word maintain. Would you read this with me? You ready? Three, two, one. Maintain a faithful ministry of worship, evangelism, Bible study, education, and service. Now you may want to keep this in your hands, and if you have a pen, uh, we're going to look at several Bible verses, and you may just want to jot them in the margins around this, and take today as a time to go back a little later and uh, review on your own as you go forth. But there are certain practices that the Scripture gives us that if we are committed to them, that they help us be aware of the filling presence of God so that our lives increasingly take the shape of Jesus. Now here's the problem and the struggle for all of us is that we tend to neglect these things at different times of our lives. And when we neglect these things, when we don't come back to them over and over again, doesn't mean we do them always exactly the same, all of us, but we must maintain these things so that our lives, and we're aware of the presence of God in us, and then Jesus is allowed to be shaped in us. Does that make sense? So let's look at what that means, because it's not a matter of, we talk about obedience a lot. Jesus talked about obedience. He says, if you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. You, you learn to demonstrate your love for Jesus by being obedient to the things he's taught us. But God never intended obedience to be something mechanical. He never intended obedience just to be something I do sheerly out of duty or out of just unthought, unreflected habit. This is a relational type of obedience. And God isn't looking for you and me to just engage in religious practice. Just to come back time and time again because we hope that in doing this somehow God will be pleased with me. That's not the right intent. And it's not the right starting point. But these things flow out of our lives and flow back into our lives as opportunities to grow in Him. We could fill our calendar with all sorts of things Religious things, good things. But our lives can remain empty with the abiding presence of the Lord if it's just for religious activity's sake that we seek these things. If neglected, our spiritual lives become misshapen. They become deflated and less focused. So God has provided, we're going to look at kind of four things here together. Are you ready? Are you ready? You guys ready? Yes. How about worship? Let's think together about worship. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. You might want to write that down if you have a pen handy. Hebrews 10, 
25. Here's what the Bible says about the importance of gathering regularly together. It says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Why in the world are we called to regularly gather for worship? One response might be, well, that's just what people have always done through the Bible. That's not a bad, bad response. But that takes us, if that's all we think about, that takes us into just this mechanical obedience to God. What does worship help us do primarily? We, we can go out individually and worship God. We can be hiking in the beautiful trails of Marin County and appreciating the beauty of God's nature. And your hearts can soar in thanksgiving to God as a great creator. You can be in a worship state all by yourself. But primarily, primarily worship is intended to be a group activity. Worship throughout the scripture has been something that God's people gather together to do together. That's why, again, I'm so happy for these weeks to be able to sit in a, a formation like this where we look at each other. And I hope at the end of these five weeks of meeting in this space that God will have increased your appreciation for how he is intending to connect and knit our lives Together, But worship is primarily something you do with other people. Because it is a reminder of who is at the center of everything. Are you at the center of everything? Think. You, you, know, you know the right answer should be no, I'm not at the center. But when we really reflect on the way we're living our lives, perhaps today or in other seasons of our life... We all know of seasons when we have been the center of everything in our world. My problems have become the centerpiece of everything that I'm concerned about. And God somehow in the process gets really small and everything else becomes really magnified. And you see, the regularity of worship week after week is not just because God is keeping attendance. God has no interest in attendance keeping. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> but it's important that you and I maintain regularity in our worship together because it is a constant reminder of who is at the center of everything. And it's a reminder that God desires to be at the center of your life. And when you allow Him to be in His rightful place, then your life becomes aligned and straight and you begin to move in a new direction. Worship regularly allows us to be filled with the knowledge of who Jesus is and what he desires for your life. It, it allows this regularity, allows you and me to be uh, shaped in the weekly rhythms. You know, from the very beginning in the book of Genesis and creation, God established life to be in a rhythmic cycle. There are days during the week when we are to be engaged and active, and there are times we're supposed to disengage and to rest. How many of you need more rest this morning? <laughs> I see some droopy eyes, and it's okay. We all need more rest. You know, when we regularly come back to the rhythms that God wove into the creation cycle, and we engage for a lot of our lives, and we disengage and we engage not for months, 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 day, 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 day after day, and then 
once one week out of the year we rest. That's not the way a healthy life is intended to be. I've got about six books on my shelf that I'm intending to read on Sabbath keeping because I'm, I'm afraid that we don't keep this very well. It's one of the big ten, right? Remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. So many of us sort of think, eh. and we're in a day when this is really hard to keep. And so I'm going to try to spend some time on that subject. So down the road, we might do a series on it. I know that vinyl records are coming back. Do you, do you listen to vinyl? Who listens to vinyl? I see about eight hands over here. Yeah, a couple of you. I, I'm told by people who really know and love music that uh, vinyl records, you know, the old big records, it, it's the way to do it. I, I grew up with a, a, a record player in our home, and it was that combo. It was record player and, and furniture. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It sort of had wood. My mom kept it nice and polished, and boy, when I was little running around, you never wanted to ding the record player and mess it up. And I dinged a lot of furniture growing up. I just couldn't help it. It wasn't on purpose, Mom. I promise. But there was a record I loved listening to, and it was Perry Como. No, Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby. <laughs> it was White Christmas. I loved singing White Christmas over and over and over again. It was great. But I used to look at the record, and I'd hold it up in the light, and I would look at the grooves on it. And I was taught to be really careful not to scratch the grooves, because if the grooves get scratched, then the music doesn't play right. And then I would look and examine the needle and the way it went down, because I was, I was trained in how to gently place the needle down. And, uh, it was always a nervous thing for my mom when I would do it. And, uh, but what, what's so interesting about that style is that the needle comes down as the record is spinning, and the needle goes into these grooves. And what happens when the needle is rightly in the grooves? You get this beautiful music. And see, when we regularly maintain an active worship engagement with each other, it's not just week after week after week, I've got to go to church. Kids, youth, I hope you don't ever get that stuck in your head. Oh, it's Sunday, we're going to church again. But I hope that God will sow into your lives the wonder of what He intends to do in building into your life these rhythms. Because if, if your life is like the needle of a record player... And God's rhythms are like the grooves in the record. When we maintain this regularity, it builds in us rhythms that are healthy and wholesome. And God is then allowed to make beautiful music as we partner with Him in His work. Worship, I don't have time to go into this, but worship is also about giving and not receiving. You know, so often we think about worship as I'm going to come and I need a word from the Lord, and that's good. I need to come and I want people to treat me well because I need to receive from them gladness or happiness or friendliness. And that's okay. But how often do we come to worship with an, an intent to give to God? To give God, God, here's my life back. And it's a reminder week after week, God, that I'm not my own because in Christ I have been bought at a price. We'll move on. Worship is so good. That's just number one. You ready? We're going to move a little faster. You ready? Number two. All right, evangelism. To maintain a faithful ministry of evangelism. In 1 Peter chapter 3, one of, uh, to me, one of the most delightful and challenging verses in all the Bible. You ready? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have 
but do this with gentleness and respect. So what are we called to do? It's to constantly, again, back to rhythms, it's to maintain an awareness that Jesus is the centerpiece of my life. And when we do that, we are in a better position in the relationships of our lives that when the opportunity presents itself and somebody's wondering how in the, in the midst of this medical uh, emergency or your business is struggling or whatever the issue is, you, you still have great hope for God's ability to work in this situation in your life. And so you have an opportunity to give voice to that. What is it about this hope? Um, we are to do it with ugliness and argumentation, right? <laughs> well, it seems like that's the way the world works these days, right? If you can't fire off a tweet that's angry and shaming to somebody, then my goodness, can't, can't we beat people into the kingdom? Shouldn't we shame them into God's life and love? Of course not. We're called to be people who are ready always to give a reason for the hope with gentleness and respect. That's the love that Jesus has shown you. And that's the love that we are intended to show other people. The last couple of Sundays, we've been focused on living in a missional sort of life. And we've talked about what it is that God has called us as a church, just like he's called every church to be engaged around the world. But he's also called you and me to be engaged in your world. That Marin County, of course, is a great mission field. Because Marin is, is a great mission field, it's so important that we focus ourselves on Marin as well as the rest of the world. It's, it's not an either or, it's always been a both and. It's everywhere, all the time. It's right here, it's over there, yes, yes, yes. It's always both. A survey recently from Lifeway said that six out of ten North American Christians are confident, they say they're confident in sharing the gospel. But in the six months leading up to that survey, do you know how many of those Christians had actually shared the gospel with somebody? Only two out of ten. What causes the gap? Why is it so difficult for us to maintain a regular habit of evangelism and looking at the world around us through the eyes of love for those who are far from God. That's what evangelism is all about. It's about having a heart posture toward others who are far from God, and it's a desire to see them come close to God and to let God work through your life in any way he wants to help foster that relationship. Does that make sense? That's what evangelism is all about. It's not about having always a closing argument or the answer to every question, but it starts with the heart of love that beats for those who are far from God and they're lost. A friend recently educated me that um, in the business world, this is what he said, in the business world, a company is known by its culture. And he said this, that culture eats strategy for breakfast every day of the week. I've been chewing on that. I said, I think that's true of the church, too. That culture in the church eats strategy for breakfast every day of the week. What do I mean? I mean, that we can create evangelistic strategies all we want. But until the, the level increases from a foundational level and more of us are focused with a love-heart attitude toward those who are far from the Lord, I don't think strategies are going to help a whole lot. 
Here's, you want to hear what one of my dreams is for this church? Yes. Here it is. Thank you. <laughs> I would love to see a year or two from now, 50 people, 50 people who love this church and who love the Lord begin increasingly to look at all of their life relationships and to begin to ask, I wonder where this person is in their relationship with the Lord. I wonder if they have a relationship with Jesus. I wonder if they're limping in their relationship with Jesus. I wonder how God might work through my life to somehow draw them closer, point them to Jesus, and begin to look at every relationship that you have with that lens. Because there's more of a, can you imagine, even just 50 of us doing that every day of the week, one of the first questions we ask when we roll out of bed is not just what am I going to eat for breakfast or how am I going to get the kids to school. Those are important questions, but among those important questions would be, I wonder how God might work through my life today to somehow point people to Jesus. Can you imagine if we had 50 people doing that every day of the week? Maybe we do, but I'd like to know about them. If you do that, come tell me. I'd like to know about you. Because I'd like to encourage you, and we can pray together. And, uh, I'm intent on doing some training to help make this happen. I'm trying to sort out when that could happen. But that's one of my dreams for this church. If you imagine a year from now, 18 months from now, 50 people every day rolling out of bed. 50 conversations were happening maybe every day. Wow. What difference would a world that's in Marin County, 95% non-Christian, what difference might that make in our world right here? That's number two. Number three, I promise to go faster. I like I will go faster. How about Bible study and education? To maintain a regular ministry of Bible study and, and education. I'm so glad to be in a church that still allows structures for ongoing adult Bible study and Sunday school for kids and, and youth students. And I'm so grateful for that. You know, Paul told Timothy, when Timothy was entering into his ministry, he said, you know, Timothy, you have to learn to train yourself for godliness. Godliness doesn't just happen. It's God who does the work, of course, but it doesn't just happen as you lie in your bed. We have to learn to train ourselves. And there are practices and habits that we have to engage in that allows God to work in us. So Timothy, Paul said, train yourself for godliness. Because physical training, it's great. And it's important. And it has benefit for this world. But spiritual training has benefit for this life and the life beyond. Train yourself for godliness. So there, it's important that we have formal methods and avenues for uh, education and discipleship and training up people. But you know, there are also less formal avenues. And, and perhaps the less formal ones are the ones that stick the best. Sometimes it's those moments when you didn't think you were going to learn something, when all of a sudden you, your life and your heart and your mind becomes Velcro and something sticks. You know what I'm talking about? Let me give you an example. When I first became a pastor, I still at the seminary. I had no clue what I was doing. I was learning what it is to be a pastor. And I got a call. I'd been on the job for about a month. This is, I don't know, how long ago was that? 18 years ago? Something like that. I was just on the job. I was just barely getting settled into my desk. And the phone rings. And they were looking for the former pastor. I said, well, that's a coincidence because I'm looking for him too. I wish you were here. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. And then she says, uh, well, we've, my family, we've been in uh, Southern California for the last six or eight months, and our house has been empty. We've just recently come back, and every night 
My young son stands up in the middle of the night on his bed and he, he sees a little man in the corner and this man talks to him and, and it frightens him and he throws things in the corner. She says, can you come? <laughs> I said, can you give me an hour? <laughs> sure. I said, okay. I had no idea what she was expecting. I had no idea what to do. I've grown up in churches where we talk about and pray about the, the spiritual forces of darkness and the reality of, of an evil realm around us. And I was very familiar with those concepts, but rarely have I actually been face-to-face with things. And so, you know what I did in that hour? <laughs> yes. That wasn't the first thing I did, Greg. See, I'm still learning holiness. <laughs> I started calling up every wise person I knew, every seminary professor, every older adult that I knew I'd respected in their walk with the Lord, and guess what? Nobody answered the phone. It's <laughs> terrible. So here I am. And then, Greg, thank you, I started to pray, and I opened up my Bible, and uh, began to look back at passages, and I'd just take a deep breath, and out I go, get my car, head over to Tiburon, and here I am at the door, and she looks me up and down, and I was... Much younger than I am now. I had a babier face than I do now. Didn't have any gray hair yet, so I had everything against me. And she looks me up and down, and I think she was wondering, who in the world is this? <laughs> and, uh, you know, we went in, and there's, there's not, actually not a lot more to tell about the story, and I can tell you more later. But um, we went in, we talked a lot, we prayed a lot, and then uh, they, they, I think, moved away a few weeks later, and so I don't know what's happened. She did say that the things with her son had gotten better, um, so I wish there was a, a real excitement, exciting end to the story, but here's why I share that story with you, is because it's in moments like that, when you come face-to-face with knowledge you don't have, or an area where you really need to grow, right? It's a need-to-know, or a need-to-grow area of your life. It's sort of this crisis that crashes in your life, and all of a sudden you're like, I don't know what to do. Right? It makes us so open to God. It makes us so open to, to learn. It could be a theological topic. Suddenly, somebody asks you, well, tell me about this doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah, Trinity, Trinity, Trinity. Yeah, yeah, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, okay. And all of a sudden you realize, there's a gap in my knowledge. That's an invitation for learning and training. That's the informal aspect of discipleship that God allows you to be pressed into out of this need-to-know or a need-to-grow area of your life. So there's formal training and education There's uh, and Bible study, and there's the informal aspects of, of how God has designed our lives and how I think a lot of our experiences would probably say, yes, that's true. And it's in those moments where I've learned perhaps the most, or at least the lessons have stuck with me the longest. You know what I did after that visit to the house of Tiburon? Can you guess what kind of books I started to buy? <laughs> yeah, all about spiritual warfare. And I began to look at, uh, and I began to have conversations with people. And I took that as an opportunity not to, not to be filled with shame for things I didn't know, but to take it as an opportunity. And you know, I'm not smart enough to even think that way. A, a seminary professor friend of mine suggested, he said, this is what I do when things like this happen to me. I take it as the Lord's timing that this is an area where I need to grow. I thought, well, that's pretty smart. So, I've tried to do that as much as I can in my life, and I commend that to you. Number four is service. Service. In Ephesians chapter 4, here's what the Bible says about serving others. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It is God who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, 
some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. I'll say it again, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So God allows spiritual people to train up and be helpful in preparing everybody for works of service. You and I are called to be people who maintain active works of service. It's for the building up of the body of Christ. It's for the unifying of the body of Christ when we serve together. It's so that we we learn how to grow mature in Christ. And we do this together. Perhaps today you've wondered how you might get connected in ministry here in the church. And there's so many ways. And you might consider this fall, as we enter into the fall in September, maybe you think about a primary ministry in the church, maybe some area where you'll give maybe the bulk of your time to. Maybe it's the choir or serving in the children's ministry or serving on Sunday morning up with our youth or um, maybe it's serving Wednesday evenings with our new Awana program. And you say, you know, that's, that's going to be my primary ministry and I'm going to give the bulk of my time and service to the Lord this school year in one of these areas or, or other areas. Maybe it's going on Friday nights to uh, Open Door Ministry. Maybe it's getting connected with Gilead House and saying, this is going to be my primary. I'm going to become a mentor to a mom there, whatever it might be. And then maybe you think about a secondary ministry where it's less of a priority. It's less of your time, an area maybe where you can fill in. Maybe it's that's an area... Not exclusively so, but helping with our fellowship team or saying, you know, I'd love to come and be a greeter at the door one Sunday a month. So you've got something that's a little bit more regular and ongoing in a primary ministry, maybe an area that's a secondary ministry that helps meet the needs of what we're trying to do as a church and connecting with people and, and grow one another up and to continue to create avenues for us to move forward together. So what you're filled with is what shapes your life. And as we wrap up this morning, are you sensing the the filling of Jesus in your life? Or have the habits of your life kind of grown cold and those patterns have become distant and not regular and the needle of your life is not in the grooves of what God has intended and called you into? Jesus wants nothing more than to fill you up and to give shape to your life. That is his whole goal for you. So that you would reflect more and more the reality of Christ. So that when others ask, you can share the reason for the hope that you have. Father, we thank you for this morning. And the opportunity to be reminded in these things that it is you who fills us. It is you who gives shape to us. And you have offered certain aspects of our lives that we are called to maintain regularity in. not, Not out of mechanical obedience, or just a sheer sense of duty, but out of a relational obedience and out of a desire to be shaped more and more into Christ-likeness. God, we know that, that these structures, because imperfect people are part of them, they're not perfect structures all the time. And perfect practices, but may they be habits that we engage in that allow you to do the work in us that you so deeply want to do.
may be true for all of us. We pray, Jesus, in your name and for your sake. And all of God's people said, Amen. Would you find your music sheet? We're going to pull out and sing together our last song as a prayer-filled response to God. Let's stand again.